Welcome everybody. As I said last week, well done for getting here for end times sessions. In my opinion, this can be a, a real spiritual battle and I'm not just saying that, not being hyper spiritual. I, I, I've had a lot of resistance when teaching on this topic. It's particularly difficult. I think you can stir up a hornet's nest. So well done for getting here. Do pray extra hard. We have been doing so today, just aware that I think of the truths that the devil doesn't want you to know. These are pretty high on the agenda, especially at this time. As Sandra mentioned, this is week number three in a series, which is really a, a series to update us. So much is happening at this moment, and it's a, a series to, to just take stock of what has transpired and what's happening before our very eyes, and maybe do a little bit of analysis and adjustments as may be needed with our plans. You may have been presumptuous with your plans for the future and then you start to see these prophetic signs and I hope it causes you to take pause and to reconsider and to make some sensible, wise, biblical adjustments. So this is, you know, as you watch the news or I follow various churches, one of the, one of the terms I keep on hearing is this repeated term. These are uncertain times really uncertain times. We just don't know what's going to happen next. And, and to begin with tonight, I'd like to just say, I would challenge that thought. I would challenge the thought that these are uncertain times. I think these are uncertain times for the world. I think they're very uncertain times if you haven't got a Bible. Certainly, they're very uncertain times if you don't look at prophecy or believe prophecy, or follow prophecy. But anyone who follows scripture, you're going to be very certain. Okay, has Israel got their land back? Yes or no? Yes. Are you certain? I'm absolutely certain. Are we seeing pandemics? <laughs> yes or no? Yes. Are you certain? I'm absolutely certain. And this is what I mean. Scripture is so clear. And the signs are so clear. These are certain times. Very highly defined, predicted, prophesied times. So don't get caught up in the doubts and the confusion and the mayhem of the lost, will you? Don't get carried away in that tide. That's what the book is there for. That's what all the, that passed down through the centuries at the cost of so many lives. So that we would not panic like they do. Scripture says they run to us asking us for interpretation of the times, not the same confusion. In week one, we began with Matthew chapter 24. And we read about the first, the first 13 verses of that chapter. Great end times introduction, really. Uh, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony and then the end will come. And we saw how indeed that has happened. The gospel of the kingdom went right around the world, circumnavigated the world. We saw how the apostle Paul was sent west to carry that gospel and it's coming home to rest in Israel even as we live in this day. 
And the third point in that first week, we, we, we looked something at our prophetic destiny as Christians in the last days to pull together a church from every tribe, every tongue and every nation. Those of you in our London church, perhaps if you were here last year for the International Day, for me, I don't have words to speak of how beautiful that was to me, and I believe to God also. That's exactly what we have been commissioned to create, a church from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, worshipping God together and living in harmony. Absolutely wonderful. Joseph's multicolored coat right there. In week number two, we looked at some analysis of the rise of the Antichrist, as Scripture presents that in great detail, over 100 passages teaching you, guiding you, <laughs> telling you what to look for. Look for this, look for that. So informative, the Bible. And, and ultimately, when talking about the Antichrist, we're basically told the day is going to come when you're going to have to choose between God or government. God or government, which is it? Because we're told about this Antichrist taking political power, ten horns, ten crowns. This represents political, regional powers. And for many people it will be a choice. Either you take the mark of the beast, you obey the government on these things like everyone else, or you can't buy, you can't sell, you can't go to Starbucks, you can't do nothing. So it's going to come to that head of God or government. And many people wonder about how quickly this Antichrist will become apparent. Is it going to be overnight or whatever? But I think in some ways the Apostle John talked about this and began to try and answer that question for us in 1 John. When he talked about, the, the, he confirmed the Antichrist will certainly come. <laughs> but be aware everybody, there are many Antichrists that have already come. And be aware that this spirit of Antichrist is very much present in the world and when people are looking for the Antichrist I would say to them just look around you you know if you invite Reinhard Bonnke to preach in your church he doesn't just fly in and preach that's not what happens what happens is a very long drawn-out process about maybe one or two years of planning and first of all you will have a group of pastors that will arrive and that group of pastors will begin to teach the church about how Bonke thinks. And they're going to get into the same spirit as Reinhard Bonke. Then about two or three weeks before the crusade or the event, all the intercessors arrive. And they begin to pray in the same spirit as Reinhard Bonke. And he's not even here yet. <laughs> but they're softening up the ground. They're preparing the environment. And then the day comes when, whoosh, Reinhard Bonnke arrives. And you know what? It's so effortless because the spirit of Bonnke, if I can put it like that, is already here. All the preparation has been done. And so when the Antichrist arrives, really what John is saying in 1 John, don't you see that the spirit of Antichrist is in the world? It's affecting politics. It's affecting religion. It's working in finances. It's in terms of war, it's forming alliances between people who should never be allied, nations who should never be allied with one another. And so I see this in week two, last week, we looked at the Antichrist, and I can see the spirit of Antichrist very, very busy in preparation 
for the Antichrist. I can see many Antichrists, as Paul put it, uh, as John put it, individuals taking control in many areas and corrupting things. So that when this man, this individual, the Antichrist, arrive, I think the way is very smoothly prepared for him. This is week number three, and the title for today is The Great Apostasy. And the scripture, again, refers to this in many different places. In 2 Thessalonians, there was a lot of false teachers chasing Paul and misrepresenting him. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, it says this, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become uneasily settled or alarmed at a teaching allegedly from us, people, false teachers, misrepresenting Paul, allegedly from us, whether by prophecy or for word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For the day of the Lord will not come until, look at this, two things. The apostasy occurs, the rebellion occurs, is, is in this version, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The return of Christ will not come until two things happen. The apostasy, the falling away of believers, takes place, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Now last week we looked at one of those. We looked at the, the Antichrist. And this week we're going to look at the rebellion or the apostasy, the falling away of believers from the true faith. I want to make a couple of observations and introductory points. We saw last week how Daniel and John had a vision of four beasts and the angel gave an interpretation of that vision. These four beasts are four empires, four powers that raise up over time and the last of them will be very strong, the Roman Empire. It will be different and it was different. It was never defeated. And from this place, which is mainland Europe, the Antichrist will arise. Now here's just a thought. If I was living in 1950 with America as a superpower, I would think it would be pretty difficult for Europe to have a significant power in the world. Don't you think that America has to decrease to some degree in order for Europe to come up a notch? I do. I think if we had continued with America with this dominant single world power, it's kind of hard to see the Antichrist having the effect internationally, if you know what I mean. But just look at the decrease of America in the last, say, 10 years. I followed America for years. I, I'm a fan of America. I, I love America. They've been very kind to me. So this is not anti-Americanism in any way. I'm very sad to see what's happened. In my opinion, the nation has gone to the dogs. It's gone to the dogs. When I look at what's happened and the founding fathers and the ethics and the scripture and the biblical principles, the commandments on which the nation was formed and to see the abomination that is now the United States. But you know one thing this tells me? It's created a sort of an equal playing field in the world. So that the nations, this new world order, this one world government, you can see it happen now. All these players need to be in place for prophecy to be fulfilled. China needs to be there. China's there. Russia needs to be there. Russia's there. Europe needs to be It's there. America's there, but not so much dominant anymore. Lost all moral authority, complete and entire. 
So interesting for me, just an observation. Second observation I would make, and this is a personal opinion, what's happening currently in the world with these pandemics, etc., looks like an intervention to me. Looks like an intervention. Looks like God's intervention. And what I mean by that, in all of history, there's only been three so far. The creation, that was God. So everything that you see, that was God. That was an intervention. He spoke. Wow. God's interventions are powerful. <laughs> creation, the first one. The second one was the flood. God's intervention. From creation all the way to the flood, God pretty much stepped back. He sent prophecies, but he intervened at the flood. How devastating was the flood? So the first intervention creation, the second intervention was the flood. And then once our gentlemanly God steps back again, I'm going to give you another chance. And then we have a long time before the next intervention, which was the first coming of Jesus Christ. It's very easy to see when God intervenes because everything changes. Creation, first intervention. The flood, second intervention. The birth, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the third intervention. And the last and the biggest intervention of all is the return of Christ. And I think what we're seeing is the run-up to that. And that's a little bit of what I want to share tonight. A third introductory point, just to put ourselves in context tonight. The only thing that comes anywhere close to matching the love of God is the wrath of God. And you need to think about that. We hear so much about the love of God and I'm in favor of that. Keep preaching about the love of God. But please don't forget the judgment of God. Don't forget the wrath of God. Don't forget that. Do you know what the Apostle Paul said? Consider ye the goodness and the severity of God. Consider both of these things. And it, it's a very pertinent day for us to not get carried away in the love only gospel. And I'm going to repeat what I said. When, when, when the Apostle Paul says, consider the goodness and the severity, what he's saying is the only thing that comes close to God's love is God's wrath. And if you doubt that for one moment, take a look at the cross. Just ponder Jesus on the cross and tell me the two things you see you see unspeakable love for you you see love that will pay an enormous price but you also see the wrath of God that's what you see you see both of those things intertwined and I would counsel you and warn you do you understand fully the cross because the wrath of God still exists. The judgment of God is still there. And either that judgment is taken by Jesus for you. And you avail yourself of it by repentance and then walking in faithfulness unto salvation. To he who overcomes, I will give the right to eat of the tree of life. And you escape that wrath. But if you refuse to repent and refuse to walk in a worthy fashion... We can lose our way, folks. This is the story of Scripture. This is the warning of Scripture. And I would say at the outset tonight, as we look at the great apostasy predicted that many will fall away, I would say to you and to me, 
I need to remember the goodness and the severity of God. I was at a conference in America <coughs> some years ago. <coughs> Excuse me. And one of the guys preaching, he was fine. But he started to go a little bit off theologically. Getting a bit carried away with himself. From a humanistic perspective, you know. And by the time he'd finished preaching, you would think the whole world was going to be saved. <laughs> Nobody's going to hell. He just kept on going and getting excited. I felt like reaming him in a little bit. Um, do you mind just sticking with scripture, please? You know, I'd love everybody to be saved. So would God. It's God's will that all man will be saved. But they're not. So we need to keep a grip on reality. A lot of false teachers. Jesus said, narrow is, I, narrow is this way and few people find it. I can't take that out of my Bible. I can't remove it. But a lot of preaching, we're, we're talking about the apostasy, apostasy, apostate church, apostates preaching. And by the time you finish listening to some of these guys, you would think everybody was going to heaven. You would think there was no repentance needed. There was no criteria but there is much criteria, and without repentance, there is no forgiveness of sin. So be careful who you're listening to, guys. Be careful who you're listening to. No, not everyone is saved. That's what Jesus said. Few find that way. That's, that's what he said. Narrow is the way, and few are they that find it. And by the way, if you want some proof of that, okay. Go back and look at a previous judgment. There's another one coming up. It's like a bus. There's another one along in a minute. There'll be another judgment coming soon. The last judgment. But look at the previous big one. The flood. Okay. Noah built an ark. The ark represents the church. And then judgment came on the world. Now here's a question for you. How many people got saved? I mean there's millions of people in the world. How many people get saved? Did many get saved or few? Eight. Eight people got saved. Very few. And by the way, that, uh, that boat represented the church and in it went the, the children of God. They, those that had trusted in him. And they were raised up because the tribulation that was coming on the earth had nothing to do with them. This was judgment on those who had rejected Christ. Noah didn't reject God. So God lifted them up, raptured them, and spared them from the tribulation coming on the world. A real strong scripture there for the pre-trib guys, right? This week, I just, I love the scripture. Pastor Roy Verghese was preaching on this last year. I think Atanasio preached on it recently as well. Genesis chapter 7 verse 13, when it talks about Noah, <coughs> it says he went in the ark. And when he went inside the ark, it said that God himself shut Noah in. God shut the ark down, closed the door on the church, and the church floated away. How amazing is that? And the Lord shut him in. The Lord shut the door of the church. In Matthew 25, we see the same picture. It's another story of the rapture. The ark is in the Old Testament, but then you come to the New Testament. You have the parable of the ten virgins. Let me read it. Matthew 25, 6. At midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, 
Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on the way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. Surprise! The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Look at that. Here's the first rapture with Noah being taken away from the tribulation, being taken out of the problems and the judgment, and God shuts the door. Here's a second picture of the rapture in the ten virgins. They're taken up by the bridegroom, and what happens? The door is shut. Do you get the point? (laughs) The doors of the churches all over the world are shut. The door of this church is shut. I have a friend down the road. His door is shut. He did everything to keep his door open, but the doors of the churches are shut. God shut the doors of the ark. And it was a sign that judgment will come, but I will rescue those who trust in me. God came for the ten virgins, but only five of them were ready. He took the five and he shut the door of the church. And I don't know how big a sign you want. (laughs) I don't know how long we need this sign to go on for, but oh my Lord, it is about as clear as day what is happening. I do believe this is a foreshadow, a warning, a run-up to the rapture, that at some point, I don't know when, in the future, the church will be taken from this earth. Just like the ark predicted and shows us in type form, in picture form, Just like Jesus warned with the parable of the ten virgins, this will happen. And that door will be shut. And many will cry and knock and plead. Did we not work miracles in your name? Did we not prophesy? Did we not know you? God help us to be ready in the day and the hour of his coming. So tonight we're going to look at the apostasy Matthew chapter 24, 10. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and they will betray and hate each other and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. (coughs) Excuse me. Just a little point here. In Matthew chapter 24, 10, when it says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith. It's not talking about your faith as such. It's talking about our faith. It's talking about the theology of the church trustworthy doctrine, good historical teaching that's been passed down through the generations. Many will turn away from the faith, from the church. It's a collective thing. And people will do it en masse. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. The day will not come until you see this happen. Now, as a leader, and many of you are leaders, many of you are responsible, for, certainly responsible for your families and your homes, We were praying this afternoon, myself and my wife is here with me tonight, and we were praying this afternoon about the ark, you know. And Mary's just went off on a tangent, a prophetic tangent. You want to hear this? (laughs) Do you know what she was praying? We were looking, she had my notes in her hand, and she just took off. Noah brought his family with him. Noah got his family in the ark. Good job, Noah! Good job, Noah! May all our fathers be like Noah. 
May all our mothers be like Mrs. Noah. And get those kids in the ark. Get your family in the ark. Family salvation. Good observation, huh? Don't let anyone deceive you. This day will not come until you see this great rebellion occur. Now, as a leader, many of you are leaders. I've got to ask myself, how do I stop my members being lost in the great apostasy? I can't even think like that. I can't even, I can't, that would just, I would, I would curl up and die. I can't bear to, the thought. You know, Abraham at one point, Abraham said, I would rather be cut off myself than see one of these people that you trusted me with lose their way because of me. God, help them, save them. And if you're a leader, you're a father, you're a mother, you feel the same. How do I help people stay on the right path? Well, I'll tell you how. They avoid the great apostasy by avoiding the little apostasies. Just avoid the little ones because those little ones accumulate and eventually they can bring you down. Those little apostasies harden your heart. Those little wrong decisions build up and suddenly you're on the wrong road. Earlier this year I shared about my friend in Dublin, Alex, lovely man. And him, three of our members went off to a waterfall for the day for a trip. They were full of fun, full of life. But it's a very high waterfall, famous, called Power Scourt in Dublin. And there's many signs as you come near the edge of that waterfall in every language. Achtung, achtung, step back, don't go. Skull and crossbones, in case you don't speak any of those languages. Everything you could imagine to stop you going over. But Alex stepped over every boundary. Lots of little apostasies. It's very sad. The warnings were true. And he slipped. And he died. And we had to send his body back to his huge family in Romania. He didn't heed the signs. And there were many of them. He put one foot over and it seemed okay. So he put another foot and then another foot. Those little apostasies ended his life way, way, way too early. A good man. But not a wise man. For me, it's important to get a handle, a very strong handle on what we're talking about. How can I not become apostate? How can I get out of a, a church that's apostate? Well, first of all, I need to understand what it means. To be an apostate, you have to first of all be saved. <laughs> because only, only saved people can become apostate. You can't leave something you were never a member of. Right? This, this message is for believers, actually. That's what it's for. We preach to the lost all the time, praise God. But this is a message for believers not to end up getting lost. I think definitions are very, very helpful. The first definition is the word atheists. Atheists are not apostate because either they, don't, either they never believed in God or they did believe in God and now they don't believe in God, right? That's an atheist. But an atheist is not apostate. That's a different classification altogether. They lose their faith or they never had it. Secondly, there's those who leave the faith, backsliders. Once they were with us, but they backslide. You don't see them anymore. But that's not apostate. It's a very different thing. Apostate is a classification biblically all on its own. It's those who reject the truths they first believed. 
It's those who abandoned the teachings, the theology, the principles, and the practices that they first embraced. That's an apostate. So this concerns you. This concerns me. This is us. That's how, I mean, it's a very, very serious message concerning the great apostasy, I tell you. Because be warned, folks, don't, don't go over that waterfall. Don't take those little apostate steps. Have a regard for good doctrine. Have a respect for it, like Paul would advise you, and I certainly advise you. Another thing about these apostate churches or individuals, they look like you. They look like me. They're in church, they carry Bibles, they're worshipping, they're praying for people. Virtually identical. When Jesus was describing this, he used the parable of the wheat and tares, remember? Because wheat and tares in the days of Jesus, these two things were actually identical. Today they're not identical because of the modifications that have happened to wheat. But it's a fact that at this time in Israel, a wheat sheaf and a tear sheaf, you can't tell the difference. You needed to have a trained eye to know the difference in those two things. So when the apostles were saying, let's take the wheat out, Jesus said, stop. Leave these two identical plants to grow up side by side. And in the future judgment, I will come in and make that division. So be very careful. You may well be in a good church. But you could be apostate because of the principles that you have abandoned. And they're, they're the things, what I want to give you tonight is how to tell if a person, an individual, or a church is apostate or heading in that direction, becoming apostate. I'm going to give you seven quick signs. Sign number one, the preference of ritual over relationship. The love for ritual instead of relationship with Jesus Christ. I used the example of Freddie Mercury. Many of you will know Freddie Mercury. He died in a very sad way. He died of AIDS and he did an interview, a documentary before he died. I, I loved it. I thought the documentary was very fascinating. I think he was a very gifted, powerful human being. Not many people have the, have the ability, have the force of personality to control a stadium. One man, powerful, powerful individual, highly gifted, but completely blind, completely blind. And in his dying interview, the documentary, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube, it's fascinating. The interviewer tell us about life, tell us about how you see the meaning of life. And Freddie Mercury's very sad answer is, and I'm paraphrasing him, he said, life Life is music, and music is life. And he began to explain the enormous energy he got from performing. How he loved everything. He loved the ritual. He loved the preparation. He loved the, the practice times. He loved the band members. He loved the stage. He loved all of it. The crowds, the traveling around the world, the events. He loved the creativity of it all. And it just, it so sticks in my mind with many people when they begin their Christian life, they begin it with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And let's say you're a worship leader. 
You begin with a love for Jesus, but suddenly this gifting within you, this God-given ability within you, begins to eclipse the relationship with Jesus Christ. And suddenly you get more from your ministry than you do from your relationship. Suddenly you fall in love with the giftings and the processes and everything that that gives you. That's a great danger. How do you recognize the apostate church? Because the relationship with Jesus Christ, the personal love, the personal relationship, it begins to diminish. And the trappings of church begin to flourish. They begin to take the dominant place. The music and the things we do, the food, the company, the culture, whatever it is, it starts to dominate. Starts to dominate. Careful now. You're falling in love with the institution. You've got more in common with the church than with Christ. Careful now. How do we tell an apostate church? One of the biggest signs, the relationship is not there. The relationship of these people is with the system. It's with the structure. It's with what they do. But not with who he is. James Kelly, the leader of the Episcopal Church in Washington, a few years ago he made a statement, and this is a bishop, this is a man with authority over many churches. A few years ago he made a statement, he said, I don't believe in God. So Christians from all over the world wanted to interview him, Christian magazines. Can you please tell us, you're a bishop, you're a man in authority over many churches, and you make a statement like this. <laughs> And of all these people stay under his authority. Can you believe it? And they interviewed him. How can you say you don't believe in God? And why are you still a pastor? Why are you still a minister? And say that. And his reply was astonishing. He said, I don't believe in God. But I love the music. <laughs> God help me. I love the music. I love the vestments. I love the candles and the stained glass windows. I love the ritual. I love the ritual of it all. And I don't want to leave it. These are his words and I'm paraphrasing but I'm very close because I, I remembered it. He said, I don't want to lose all that just because I don't believe in God. You see, he was getting so much from the church and what the church did. And somewhere along the way, he lost Christ. And I would add to Freddie Mercury's testimony, my consideration, and also James Kelly, they were getting recognition. They were getting recognition. The less you love Christ, the more recognition you want. You're going to want people to know your name. You're going to want titles, positions. The further you are away from Jesus, the more you need a supplement. You need a replacement. But I tell you, the defining mark, the defining, the, dis the distinction of a person close to Jesus, they don't care less what you think about them. They don't care tuppence about it. They're lost in love, relationship with God. And all of this is just secondary. So I challenge you, is your relationship with the church greater than your relationship with God? Where is it? Do you have a relationship with all this ritual? 
Are you getting more from that? Like James Kelly, that I can't give it up. I want to keep it all. <coughs> the first sign a church is apostate. Ritual is more important than relationship. The second sign, they believe God, but they don't feel the need to obey God. I believe there is a God, but I don't think I need to obey Him. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. These are the words of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, away from me. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now you may ask yourself, well, how on earth can someone, how, how can he say away from me if these people are performing signs and wonders and prophesying? Do you know, he said away from me because I never knew you. You were never in a love relationship with me. You never crossed that line. You know what? In my life, I've had girlfriends. Okay? But I never knew them the way it means no here. Okay? They were just acquaintances. They were friends. Some of them were close friends. But I didn't marry them. I never made that strength of commitment. And what Jesus is saying here, there are those who come into the bride of Christ. There are those who marry me as it were. Who take me on board fully for all I am as the Son of God. And there are others on the peripheries. The peripheries. So be careful. It's not just about believing the right thing. Or doctrinal accuracy. But also about obeying him. Very, very much about obeying him. The third sign that you can tell a church or an individual is apostate is they tend to be more concerned about feeling good than being good. More concerned about feeling good than being good. This is an obsession in the modern church. And trust me guys, I don't know how often you preach the gospel or how accurately you preach the gospel, but if you do, one thing is guaranteed, you are going to offend people. Okay, I promise you, you're going to offend people. That's what Jesus said, right? They were offended at me. They will also be offended at you. And maybe they're not going to feel good. They're not going to feel good. And if we run our churches so that people feel good, we're in trouble. But I repeat, this is an obsession with, with some types of modern churches. Don't be worried about people feeling good. We need to be worried about them being good, not feeling good. And there's a whole culture today that we, we can't offend anybody. We can't say that because they'll be offended. He'll be offended. She'll be offended. The gospel is offensive. Just because someone's offended doesn't mean they're right. Okay? You can be offended, but you're still wrong. You can be hurt, but you're still wrong. I've had this 10,000 times. People come up to me and say, I'm offended with what you've said. And I can see their thinking. They think because they're offended, they're right. <laughs> well, actually, you may be offended, but you're still wrong.
and you still need to repent. You may be hurt. And it's not my intention to hurt you. It's not my intention at all. But you're still wrong. You need to repent of your sin and find Christ. How do you tell an apostate church? Because they're terrified of offending you. You can hear it. You can see it. You can feel it. Everything is designed so that you're comfortable. Anything else I can get you? Anything else I can do for you? Everything is catered. And yet you can leave that place going to hell. They crucified Jesus on this point. Because he always told them the truth about themselves. And they hated that. Let's never be individuals who are frightened of the offence the gospel brings. And don't be afraid when people get hurt. Better they get a little bit hurt now and get saved. Much better they get a little bit hurt now. That's what he did. And that's what we should do. The fourth way I can tell an apostate individual, an apostate church, or recognise it in myself, is not so much the sin they fall into but by the doctrines they fall away from goodness knows we have had a wealth of these in the last few years right not so much the sin they fall into remember they've still got their bible they're probably still in church they're probably still in a good church but they don't agree anymore I don't agree with the principles of this church I don't agree with these age old truths and they start to depart you can tell an apostate church by what they fall away from, not so much by the sin they fall into. That's a really important distinction. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and they will turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the works of, and duties of your ministry. Good advice from the Apostle Paul. So keep a firm place. And let me say this, folks. You ask my opinion on the great apostasy? I think it was um, Stephen last week. He was asking me, do I think this is the end? Uh, and um, that, that we're approaching these last days very rapidly. And I gave a very strong yes. My, my, my answer is yes, for a multiple set of reasons. And you could ask me tonight, do I think we are seeing the great apostasy now? Yes. Yes. I do. We've been seeing the great apostasy like never before for about the last 15 years. There's been a massive change in the world. A huge change in the traditional values that run our churches. The ethics, the biblical values, they have been completely switched around. Ch churches have made unbelievable decisions. Unbelievable don't be alarmed. The day of the Lord will not come until you see the great apostasy. Well, I tell you what, folks, 
we have been seeing the great apostasy every day every day when the leader of the Episcopal Church says I don't even believe in God anymore when the traditional values they've gone out the window and I'm not talking about one or two I'm talking about millions you've got the emergent church which is termed in America but it's the apostate church it goes by various names around the world but the following runs into millions so yes we are living in the days of the great apostasy so you need to double check the values and the doctrines of your church sorry but that's what Paul that's the advice he gives and that's the clear advice of Scripture the fifth way you can tell an apostate church or individual and this, this is just a description they really know how to do church boy oh boy can they do church now I've been to some big churches in my time I can tell you um, <clears throat> not all big churches are bad so don't hear what I'm not saying not all big churches are bad not all small churches are good not all small churches are bad not all big churches are good okay so don't get carried away with that but nonetheless I think it is true that many of the of the of the models that we're seeing emerge around the world of what I would consider to be a very apostate church boy oh boy can they do church they've got better I'm using inverted commas here better worship than us better music than us massive crowds huge organization the thing is so impressive just got to be really careful about that really careful we had a, a couple came here and to this church a couple of years ago and they had some very serious sin issues in their life very serious someone sent them to me and I sat here in this building with them and I said tell me you're and they were very honest so I explained to them what you're doing is wrong and you need to desist immediately you they were living together I want you to separate okay move in go back to your mom no problem you need to do that you need to do it right now I want you to do this that and that and the other and then we can bring this thing to a head okay so they went off and they were supposed to contact me but they never did they never got back to me and I left it and left it in one week two weeks and in the end I sent a couple of texts and eventually I got a reply and my I got a conversation with the guy what happened you, you were supposed to come back to me oh no it's okay we're fine <laughs> What, what do you mean you're fine? Oh, we, we found another church. <laughs> we found another pastor. It's really nice. I'm not going to say what church it is. But da -da -da! big lights, big music, big sound. It's fantastic. You wouldn't believe it. Okay. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and the, the, the problem? Oh, no, 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 no. The, it's okay. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. So we just kind of brush that under the table, shall we? No no the answer is no you are better off in a small church that corrects you than in a big church where you can hide and end up in hell hello <laughs> you're better off in a small church with good doctrine than a big church where you can hide in anonymity that will make you feel good and that's not a slight on big churches I repeat there are many very good big church big churches I'm in one and I've been in one for nearly 30 years faithfully serving this church because I believe in it and it's a huge church and many others I know not all big churches are bad not all small churches are bad number six 
How do I tell an apostate church or an apostate individual? And how do I protect myself from going off this path? Well, number six, there's a definite rejection of the teaching about repentance. Oh, Jesus, help us. Repentance, holiness, and judgment. In week one of this series, remember my globe, I've got it here. Remember the world and remember the gospel going around the world? The Mayflower, the boat that took the founding fathers to America, on that boat was a pastor called Richard Mather and he sailed from Liverpool and he preached his last sermon in Liverpool in what is, I believe, the oldest, the, the oldest church building in the UK. And one day I was driving through Liverpool and I saw this building, a church. I didn't know what it was at that time. And I pulled over and I just ran over. There was a sign outside. I thought, this is interesting. And I read the sign. And it, it said, from this church, Richard Mather and the founding fathers sailed on the Mayflower to America, bringing the gospel, bringing the scriptures and bringing all these principles to America. And sorry, I'm a pastor and preacher. So as I walked back to my car, just being part of history, I thought I'd love to preach in that church one day and just be part of the history of the gospel going around the world. Well, you'll never guess what happened. <laughs> yeah, I got this phone call one day from a guy who saw me on TV and he said, we're having an evangelistic meeting. And we saw that you, you're living in Liverpool. Would you come to our building? And I said, yeah, of course. And it was the building. So I was very pleased, but I'm not finished. Keep listening. <laughs> so I go along to this building and there's about probably 80, 90 people in the building. And they're all lost. Many of them are homeless. And the woman meets me at the door. Now remember... This is the church that sent the gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of your sins on the Mayflower to America. And I'm in the building. But times have changed. Oh, times have changed. So I come in and I, the woman introduces herself. Hello, I'm in charge. I said, Hello, I'm Michael. And she started to like really put pressure on me. Now, you're going to be nice to the people. <laughs> have you been watching me on TV? You're going to be nice to the people. You need to be really nice now. I, I, please take it easy tonight I thought you know what don't try and control me in this area okay I'm going to do my job in this place I'm going to do my job these people are not safe I'm going to do my job please be nice now be nice and I, I got up to preach and she was standing at the back like a pregnant mother walking up oh my god what are you going to say we're going to lose all our members why did we invite this guy she, as I started to preach, all of these poor people who don't know Jesus, I explained to them, you're going to hell. You're all going to hell unless you repent. Do you understand that? There's only two ways. And she was at the back going, oh no, oh no, stop, stop. And I just kept on going and I kept on going and I kept on going. And there was opposition, but at a certain point, the opposition was gone. Oh yeah, I could feel it. And I gave an altar call that night. And I said, if you are serious, if you've, if you've come to believe that there is a God, or you've sensed him in this room, stand up on your feet. And some of those men who had no bed for the night, no home, I believe it was 12 people, 12 men or women, stood and came forward. One of those is a full-time worker in Liverpool Church, 
Frontline Liverpool Church, full-time evangelist today. One of those men who came forward that night. Hallelujah! But how times change. How times change. The very church building where the gospel was catapulted of repentance for the forgiveness of your sins onto salvation. Now they don't even want you to mention the word. Don't mention that. Don't mention sin. Just be nice to everybody. They'll get offended. We're going to feed them, give them lots of nice food, make them warm, and send them to hell. I want no part in this. I want no part in this. How do you tell an apostate church? <clears throat> because the need for the preaching of repentance is rejected. Talk about holiness is rejected. Talk about judgment is rejected. And lastly, how do you tell an apostate church? Because they allow themselves to be swayed by a human argument. And this is a very important point. We're out of time tonight, so I'm not going to go into detail on this one, but I, I certainly could. There are many things in my life that no human being will ever dissuade me from or, or, or change my opinion on. Ray Belfield, he's dead now. But Ray Belfield, a leader in the UK for many years, 60 years full time, he used to say, I don't have an opinion, I have a Bible. I don't have an opinion. When people were asking him for his opinion, I don't have an opinion, I have a Bible. So if you ask me a question, I'll go here and I'll see if I can find the answer and I'll give you God's opinion. And Ray was not able to be persuaded by human arguments. This is a very big point. This issue, I drive more people crazy. I make more people angry on this issue probably than any other issue. Because for me, I've got certain absolutes. I believe the scriptures are the inspired word of God. I believe there is a God. I believe that Jesus Christ is his son. I believe he was born of a virgin. I believe you need to repent of your sin to be saved. And then you need to walk in the faithfulness empowered by the Holy Spirit. That you need to conquer to get through that, through the power that God gives you. Many of these are absolutes and you can talk to me all day. But I will not change my God-given opinion, my God-given belief. Why am I saying this? Because in the last days, many false teachers will come. And they will talk and talk until wrong seems right. And when you have been listing them, listening to them for just a little bit of time, you will begin to do wrong. And wrong will become normal. You will begin to think wrong, to practice wrong. And suddenly you're on the wrong road. They have deceived you. Be careful that no one deceives you because many will come in the last days telling people what they want to hear. Your natural inclination is to sin. You want to sin. You want to go wrong. The thoughts of a man's heart are only wicked and evil all the time. And it's only by the preservation of the Holy Spirit and the preservation of the power of God's word that keeps us in any way straight. So when false teachers come, they're appealing to your base nature. And they're telling you, they're excusing you. And they're going to look holy and look righteous and play the game. These guys can play the game. The church game, you know what I mean. They can play that game better than you. 
And something inside many people, for reasons I won't go into because the reasons are manifold, they want it. And they allow themselves what their itching ears have longed to hear, that excuse that lets me off the hook. Here's someone, a person in a position of authority, a person who's got a Bible, they're trained, and they're telling me I can do wrong. How great is this? <laughs> and many people will follow this apostate church. They already are. They're doing it in huge numbers around the world. How people can stay in these churches on Sunday, I have my mind boggles. Absolutely boggles. I would be through that door in two seconds flat. Cover is very important to me. How do you tell a person who's becoming apostate? They're starting to listen to people. They're getting deceived. People are talking and talking and they're turning away from the truth, the historical truth, the ancestral truth, our forefathers' truth, the biblical truths that they always held to. Let me conclude tonight. Don't lose your faith. Don't lose your faith. Keep your faith. Keep the faith. Don't leave the faith. I know these are difficult days, but don't leave the church. Don't leave your faith. Keep your relationship with Jesus strong. And don't change the beliefs that have been handed to you by good and trustworthy men and good and trustworthy churches. Don't abandon those truths. Don't become apostate. Watch the signs. Stay on the path. How do you avoid the great apostasy? By avoiding the little ones. The little apostate steps that ever increasingly take me away from God. So I pray the wisdom of God upon you and the grace of God upon you that we together will recommit to the Holy Scriptures, to the truth of good doctrine. We will embrace it and commit to it and we will guide others to do exactly the same for their protection and for their preservation unto salvation. Father, we give ourselves to you tonight. We pray that indeed that grace would sustain us and keep us strong in these dangerous and turbulent days. Bless us, we pray. Strengthen us, we pray. And we pray you would give us a strong spirit of discernment to stand against all false teaching, to commit and support one another especially as we seek to do right and to follow good principles, good practices, good teachings, good structures in our churches. May we commit ourselves to you. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.